hi. Just a quick warning that this episode contains descriptions of domestic violence. Please take care while listening. Last time on Will Be Wild. The concern we had is that when you take a stressor like this and the entire nation of the United States experiences, your, your pool just expanded massively. Your denominator got huge. Is that what your memo said? This could lead to violence? I don't think it's this could. It said we should expect to see more violence on the other side of reopening. And we were already collecting on QAnon and uh, the Boogaloo movement and the Proud Boys and Three Percenters. We were looking for those people, and they shut that down. So it was uh, in the middle of the insurrection on January 6th, they called me. Um, they're like, Jackson Reffitt, do you have time to talk? On the evening of January 8th, 2021, Jackson Reffitt is at home watching Borat 2 when there's a sound at the front door. I am sitting in the living room. He walks in. He hugs my mom. Jackson's dad was away for five days. And in those five days, the world changed. Guy Reffitt was a part of that change. He'd brought a friend over who'd been with him in Washington. He's an older guy. I think he said he was in the Korean War. I have no idea. And they're just talking. They're like, yeah, we did it. We did what we wanted to. When we met Jackson earlier in the series, he'd just come around to the view that his dad was a dangerous man. The rest of the family doesn't know it yet, but he even submitted a tip to the FBI about two weeks before the Capitol riot, warning that Guy was planning something big. At this exact moment, as Guy returns triumphantly home, Jackson feels even more certain that he was right to contact them. And they were just talking about how proud they were and what they were going to do next. They were talking about taking down the media, they want to go to New York. They want to go to California. And he was bragging about how he saw this younger-looking girl as a police officer shooting him with rubber bullets. And he was like, need a bigger gun than that lady. Like, walked up to her and, I don't know, scared her off or something. I don't know. And that was pretty much it for, like, 40 minutes until the older guy left. Guy brings his AR-15 into the living room. Jackson moves in and starts giving him shit. Jackson was secretly recording. I was sarcastic, obviously. I was like, you're a hero. <laughs> and he was like, uh-huh, yeah. And uh, he goes on. Technically, I want to protect my country. And I had you brought your gun on federal grounds, right? And I brought that up. Except carrying a weapon. And he was like, yeah, but it says it in the law that I could, or the Constitution, or Constitution says this, you should read this court case this, you should read that this. I had every constitutional right to carry a weapon and take over the Congress, as we tried to do. And I was like, but you broke the law. You did. Jackson's mom and two sisters are here, too. They say things like, wow, Dad, as he shows off his bruises from pepper balls and impact projectiles. Mostly, they're just glad to see Guy home in one piece. And they think to themselves, he didn't hurt anyone. He didn't even go inside the Capitol. What's the worst that could happen? From Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music, it's Will Be Wild. I'm Ilya Meritz. Chapter 4, Rules for Radicals. At home, in the days after Guy's return, the family is on edge. One morning, Jackson walks into the kitchen and finds his younger sister Peyton in a heated discussion with their dad about the riot and the feds, who are now searching for suspects. Kept bringing up about how 
the FBI is closing in, the government's closing in on suburbia and Texas and other spots and that they're going to shut down on all of us. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, like, do you know what you did? Like, isn't it obvious? Every day, the news is full of stories of people recognizing coworkers and ex-boyfriends from photos and video clips of the riot and turning them into the FBI. If this ever happens, you'll ruin the family, you'll ruin what I've been doing, you'll ruin, like, yada yada. Then, as they're standing there in the kitchen, Guy goes one step further. He says these words to his two kids. You know what happens to traitors? Traitors get shot. That afternoon, Jackson leaves the house. He tells his dad he's going to meet up with some friends. He's lying. He doesn't want to give Guy any clue what he's really doing, and he's afraid his father will track his movements. My dad has a GPS tracker that uh, he bought online that he can magnetize to the back under someone's car. So he takes a detour to his old high school, makes it seem like he's picking up his friends. Then he drives to a restaurant parking lot and looks for a black Dodge Charger with an FBI agent behind the wheel. Jackson's not sure what to expect. He's never met an FBI agent before. Stepped into his passenger seat really awkwardly, by the way, because it's just like, I don't know what to do. And uh, he's really nice. This is a weird detail, but he smells exactly like my uncle's house. It was like, like right into my face. Uncle. <laughs> Jackson told me there was something comforting about Special Agent Laird Hightower. He's like, do you need to see my ideas? Like, no, but sure. Without his like badge, cliche. I have to point that out. Um, he's uh, got white short hair, very stern, very, he's very Texan FBI agent. Special Agent Hightower has questions. Explain his organization, the three percenters. Are they the kind that just go on Facebook comments or is it the kind that go into the woods and shoot guns? And I was like, I don't know. Like he goes in meetings and he travels and he's been to Mississippi and um, he's very prominent online, but he's been very prominent in real life too. And um, he's like, okay, okay, got it. Jackson also shares some phone recordings he's made of his dad with the agent, and they agree to stay in touch. After returning from the Capitol, Guy gets seven nights of undisturbed rest in his own home. In the early morning hours of the eighth night, there's a loud bang. Guy's wife, Nicole, is the first one up. I just hopped up and ran to the door in panic. I opened the door, and there's just AR-15s pointed at me. And, you know, they're yelling at you. And then I hear the flashbangs in the backyard. And I'm, like, telling them to stop. I knew they were there for Guy. They were yelling his name. So at that point, I knew that I just wanted the kids out and let them do what they needed to do. The agents arrest Guy and slide him into a vehicle. I felt super nervous. Like, that fight-or-flight feeling that you get... You know, we do live in Texas and the United States, and we have our home defense weapons and things like that. And I wouldn't be one to reach for a gun. Guy would. I mean, he's the protector. Jackson missed all that. He'd spent the night at his girlfriend's house. When he arrives home, his father is a silhouette in the back of a government car. Jackson walks past without stopping. Agents are combing through the house. Jackson spots Special Agent Hightower. I walked up to him and I was like, okay, where do I go? And he's like, just go be with your family. It becomes clear to the rest of his family that this cataclysm is landing differently for Jackson. 
Here's Jackson's older sister, Sarah. His computer was the only one they didn't take. They took all the... All they they took mine. They took all the computers in the house. Only not... Just not Jackson's. They didn't go to Jackson's room either. They just went in there and went in there. I don't know what they went in there for because they didn't do anything. So we kind of just were like, what's going on here? Nicole remembers Jackson coming over and trying to reassure her. And, you know, Jackson was like, don't worry, Mom. Everything's going to be fine. That's been the plan from the beginning. And the FBI was still there, and he was loving on me, you know, and everything. So it didn't register to me until later what he had said. Don't worry, Mom. Everything's going to be fine. That's been the plan from the beginning. And then I knew that it was him, although I kept saying, no, it's not Jack. No, it's not Jack. Um, to everyone, because... I, I was doing basically the same to myself. I was like, it's Jackson. And Jackson definitely did this. A few days later, Sarah is at work. She's a waitress at Hooters. It was after a football game or whatever. It's the end of her shift when sports clicks over to news, and Hooters has a lot of TVs. Jackson Reffitt joins us now. I know you love your family, and I know this is hard. And I was just like, looked at the TV, and Jackson's on every single screen talking. It just felt like the right thing, regardless of my emotions. It's her little brother recounting how he turned their dad in to the FBI. Sarah finds out the same way the stragglers at Hooters did, the way millions of Americans did. My friend's bartending. She just started trying to turn off all the TVs. She tried to get through the remotes at the other girls, trying to turn them off. She's like, I'm so sorry, Sarah, you know? Yeah, I was trying to get it to the girls. It was awful. It was really bad, man. Yeah. It was really bad. Guy Reffitt was charged with five counts, including entering and remaining on restricted grounds with a dangerous weapon and obstruction of justice hindering communication through physical force or threat of physical force. The last one is a result of Jackson reporting his dad's threat. Sarah knows her dad would probably have been arrested no matter what, but she blames Jackson for reporting the threatening words, traitors get shot, to the FBI. She thinks that's the reason the FBI treated Guy, she says, basically like dad's a murderer. Jackson is my little brother and we've lived together almost our entire lives. You know, he's not that much younger. And... I don't understand how his thought process could be so different, is all. I was nervous about meeting Sarah and Nicole for the first time. Nicole had been a little curt on the phone, and when I looked at the questions that I wanted to ask her, they seemed so intrusive. How do you feel about the fact that your son informed on his dad, and now your husband is in jail? But when we met at a restaurant, almost immediately, they put me at ease. The Reffitts are warm and funny and talkative. You hopscotch from one topic to the next, and before you know it, another hour has passed. That's how it went with Sarah and Nicole on my first day in Texas. And that's how it went the next day when I interviewed Jackson. Nothing is off limits. No subject is too sensitive. And what surprised me was that their openness made it harder, not easier, to understand how the members of this family have come to such completely different conclusions about what's gone on in their lives. Personally, I think my family, they overlook what my dad does as just him being, oh, it's him. He's just an arrogant narcissist. Nothing ever really bad ever happened, but Jackson, like, like he held on to everything that's happened in the past year and brings them to light, like, 
there'd be all these awful things, but really there's not been that many things ever. Jackson and his mom and sister agree on the facts, not just of what happened around January 6th, but in the years before that. Where they disagree is on who Guy Reffitt is, fundamentally, whether his rhetoric is bravado or a warning, whether his threats are jokes or real, which is to say they disagree on what the truth of their family is, how they got here, and what, if anything, can bring them back together again. Nicole has bright green eyes and wears her hair in a punky undercut. For many years, she was the only refit with any interest in politics. Even as she was raising three young kids, she always had a history book or biography on hand. I am a forefather fangirl, John Adams being my favorite. She's drawn to hellraisers and contrarians. Ron Paul, the libertarian former congressman, Austrian economist Friedrich von Hayek, Edward Bernays, the ad man. He actually sold World War I to America. It's striking that Nicole's husband is the one who might get a footnote in the history books, because you can easily imagine Nicole, with her considerable charisma, making a mark. I think she knows this. She says she wishes she thought to run for school board when she was younger. Lately, she's been reading Saul Alinsky, a liberal community organizer who was an inspiration to both Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, and who lately has been adopted by conservatives. Rules for Radicals is his big book. Rules for Radicals felt like the matrix just fell in front of my eyes when I read that. The main point that I got out of his book is that you never stay stuck. You always go with what the grassroots want, what they want in the backyards of Chicago, what they want in the backyards of Wiley, Texas. Unlike his wife, Guy has never been much of a reader. Nicole says Guy started taking an interest in American politics when the family was living on the other side of the globe. Guy works in the oil business, and in 2013, he took a job as a rig manager in Asia, and the whole family moved to Penang, Malaysia. So it was from afar that Guy watched Donald Trump ride down an escalator into history in 2015 to announce he was running for president. Guy was head over. I mean, from the minute when Trump started talking, he just really spoke to a large group of people. He really did. And Guy specifically, do you know what it was that resonated with him, or was it just the style? the... The style. Guy is kind of like that in a lot of ways. So, you know, boisterous, arrogant, um, he he's an alpha male. So all of those things just, you know, him and Trump were very similar, you know. And then he started reading all of Trump's books and, you know, uh, Art of the Deal. And I mean, I was just like... <laughs> Maybe Trump's wealth was a part of it, too. The Refits had never been rich. But now, in Malaysia, they could taste the good life. Guy was earning as much as $30,000 a month, Nicole says. They could afford to send all three kids to private international school. They lived in a beach house at first, and then in a penthouse with a view of the ocean. They took trips to Vietnam and Cambodia. But after a few years, the price of oil plummeted, and Guy lost his job. The Refits hung on in Penang for a while, hoping things would turn around. They didn't. Jackson remembers a hard landing in Texas. I don't know what happened, but we didn't really end up saving any money. We just kind of just went in and went out. Like, all five of us were sleeping on an air mattress with no TV, no nothing, just nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. Like, we were picking up bed frames off the side of the road. We had no money. Like, literally, and God didn't let me know how bad that was. I didn't know how bad it was. And 
so that was also hard because then I felt like he was lying to me and well he was <laughs> he was lying to me um you know now in hindsight he was probably just trying for me not to worry but you know no it was hard the place they chose to live was Wiley a suburb of Dallas Nicole started driving Ubers and Lyfts Guy found work installing sunrooms it was not nearly the kind of money he made in the oil business if candidate Trump appealed to Guy with swagger and big promises now as president Trump had something else to offer grievance and resentment. Under the same roof, Jackson was developing his own political consciousness. I'm very socialist. I just want the government to be involved, just to help people out. My dad's been uh, very prominent about his very right-winging views, and that's drawn me very against those views because it's been shoved down my throat over and over again. This was the shape of things in early 2020 when the pandemic forced everyone into close quarters and the conflict between Guy and Jackson became acute. Jackson would be in his bedroom and Guy would be in the living room or at the kitchenette and I would be at work and my phone's just dinging, 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 dinging. What emergency is happening? (laughs) I had to mute the family chat because they were driving me crazy. They were literally driving me insane. This was last summer or spring? Oh, it was all through the summer up until the election. Jackson wanted to join a Black Lives Matter rally in Dallas. Nicole offered her car. Guy overruled her. You know, said, no, he's not going to take your car. Um, It could be dangerous. It could get damaged. He could get hurt. Jackson made it to a rally eventually. And it turned out Guy was there too, patrolling the streets, safeguarding local businesses, he said. Once again, completely opposite situations. Guy'd recently hooked into an anti-government militia group, the Three Percenters. They take their inspiration from the unproven claim that just 3% of American colonists fought for independence from Britain. It follows that a small minority can reorder political life around their beliefs, if they're willing to fight. Nicole helped Guy to host a mixer for the local branch. We had brisket and potato salad and rolls, tea... She says there was a lot of talk about guns and shit hitting the fan. It wasn't for her. But Guy was into it. Guy was excited. You know, COVID really had people in a bad place. I'm I'm sure that goes across the board. And he needed an outlet. And he found it there. Sarah sees the same thing. She says Guy volunteered to do background checks on people who wanted to join the Three Percenters, search their criminal history. It almost sounded like more like a Boy Scout thing to me. He was having a purpose, basically. Where Nicole and Sarah are reassured, Jackson is alarmed. What he sees is his dad gorging on conspiracy theories. Fox News, Tucker Carlson, all that. It just grew into, like, Newsmax. And then he'd be on his Confederate page, on Wiley Confederate page on Facebook. And I try to gain, like, an outsider point of view, the way I handle situations. Like, stuff my dad says, I'll write it down. And I'll read it out to myself, and I did that, and I was like, this is all weird to just see this written down. It's not just words, but actions. Jackson remembers Guy buying a generator, stocking up on ammo, water, and gasoline. Since the time he was young, Jackson can remember his dad occasionally having angry and uncontrolled outbursts. Now, it feels more intense to him. One time, Guy parties so hard in front of his own family, he passes out, and they take him to the hospital. Guy believes he may have been drugged. And then, the summer before the 2020 election, Jackson remembers his dad doing something 
that really shook him. We were outside on the patio, and my mom walked out. She was like, your dad just put a gun to my head. And, like, everyone went quiet. It was my older sister and her boyfriend and me. And I was like, what? That's not okay. And then, uh, like, I, I stood up and I was like, guys, that's not okay. That's clearly not okay. Like, say it all out to yourself, seriously. And then nothing came about it. Not a single thing. It was just dad being dad. Guy has said this didn't happen. But now, when Jackson looks at his father, he sees a man who is riled up and violent. Whatever was there before is closer to the surface. And so a few months later, when Guy is loudly talking about doing something big, Jackson believes he really could. We know what happens next. Jackson tips the FBI in December. In January, Guy goes to Washington and joins the riot at the Capitol. When Guy comes back, he tells his kids that traitors get shot. Jackson reports this to the FBI. And then the ref at home is searched, and Guy's hauled off to jail. You might think, with Guy gone, the household would be a better place for Jackson. But he doesn't think so. He expects fights with his mom and sisters. There's still a lot of stuff left unsaid. They haven't had it out over what he did. And so Jackson moves out. He told me the best way to not burn his bridges is to just stay away, for now. In the space of just a few days, the two most important men in Nicole's life disappear. The first time I meet Nicole, she never mentions the incident with the gun. If anything, she underlines how harmless Guy is, tells me his nickname is Queenie because he has a flair for drama, and learn he's deathly afraid of spiders. The behavior that bugs Nicole is Jackson's. She thinks he overreacted when Guy said traitors get shot. If he was so scared, he would have taken his sister out of the house and left that day. But he didn't. He didn't like what his dad said, and I agree. He doesn't have to like what his dad said. I don't like what his dad said. Guy knows I don't like what he said. Um, but that's not the first time that I've had... I've corrected Guy a lot <laughs> on his choice of words. Nicole says you cannot take Guy's words seriously, which is exactly what Jackson does. I know Jackson hates the way Guy speaks to me, but like I said, I know where Guy's coming from. I did not want Jackson to be that harsh-spoken as Guy is. And it's not Guy's fault that that happened, that he, that he is a gruff speaker and, and that it was how he's brought up and the industry that he was in. But Jackson is not that way. So I didn't allow a lot of harsh talk towards Jack because Guy thinks that, you know, it's a man's world. This is how we talk. And I don't feel that way. And the only way to change the next generation is by teaching them that that is not okay. In that first conversation with Nicole, it seemed like absolutely nothing could shake the way she saw a guy. And then something happened that did. That's after the break. After that first visit to the Reffitts in June 2021, Nicole and I kept up by text. In August, she wrote, Hey, we will be in D.C. in September. Hope we can connect. 
and she added a flyer for an event called the Justice for J6 rally. Since Guy's arrest, Nicole had linked up with some other people whose family members were in detention in the D.C. jail, the defendants charged with some of the most serious crimes. The family members were hoping that this rally in front of the U.S. Capitol could shift public opinion, reframing their husbands and fathers as patriots, as prisoners of conscience. For Nicole, this activism was kind of a break from the stress of credit card bills and the loneliness of life without Guy or Jackson around. Maybe it even scratched the social movement itch that came from reading Rules for Radicals. Anyway, she was excited to be there. But she didn't show. And that day, she didn't answer my calls or texts. We reconnected in November, and I made a trip to see her in Texas. Over beers and Mexican food, Nicole filled me in on what had happened. Cheers. Cheers. Y'all don't do salted beer up north, do y'all? No, we don't. (laughs) She was wearing librarian glasses and looked a little weary. Nicole says that as she was boarding her flight from Dallas to go to the rally, another passenger made a complaint about her. She was pulled off the plane before takeoff, she says. And it was because of a three percenter sticker that was on my bag that it was Guy's bag. Maybe you've seen it on a flag or bumper sticker. The three percenter logo is the Roman numeral three surrounded by 13 stars in a circle. This is the militia Guy joined, the one the Refits served brisket to in their backyard. I didn't even think about it. I just got the backpack. It was like a Jansport, you know, backpack. Never even thought about it. Now back inside the terminal, the tears come. She will not be going to Washington. She's overwhelmed by a sense of losing control. Nicole has always been good at compartmentalizing, but now it's a big, awful mess, and her rational brain has no chance against an involuntary physical reaction. I just could not stop crying. It just would not stop. Um, I got really paranoid. I didn't feel like I could trust anyone, you know, and I was just really overwhelmed. When she gets home, she locks herself in the bathroom and screams that she wants to die. Sarah is so alarmed, she calls 911. When the police arrive, Nicole is taken away and involuntarily committed to a psychiatric ward. And I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. Because I was put in involuntarily. Um, This is resulting from the incident. September 8th. Yeah, I got put in on the 18th. And Sarah made the call. Yeah. She spends about a week there. She's given medication and assigned a psychiatrist. And she starts to tell her shrink what's been going on. When I was saying why I was there and all these different things, and she was like, wow, that's a lot. And I was like, is it? Is it a lot? Because I'm living it, so I can't think of it on those terms. That fight-or-flight feeling, you know, and that's just so exhausting to have that feeling all of the time. And, and that's you how, feeling that all the time? Oh, yeah, you know, I kind of felt like I kept, I was getting backed into a corner. All through this past year? Yeah, like I just kept feeling everything keeps keeps coming, you know, and just keeps happening. And, you know, you just want to have a day where maybe your, your husband's not on Twitter, you know, or something. And and it doesn't seem to work out that way. Yeah. The Nicole I meet in November is less defiant, more reflective. She meditates, practices deep breathing, accepts the things she cannot change. I don't see my son. That breaks my heart. Um, I have a hard time talking to Jackson because I get really upset. I do text him um, because I want him to know that I love him and that to make sure he's okay. But it's so emotional for me that I'm just going to have to wait 
until we can see each other and talk, because I just can't. She is talking to Guy, though, as often as the jail allows it. It sounds weird that my husband is in prison and that I'm content, but I get to talk to him every day. She has a pretty good picture of his life on the inside. Without regular shaves, Guy's facial hair has become wild. His nickname is the Lorax, like the Dr. Seuss character. Guy's in a unit with other accused January 6th rioters. They call it the Patriot Pod. Some of them pass the time playing Magic the Gathering. Every night they say the Serenity Prayer and then sing the national anthem. it was dumb they were all together anyway. I mean, I don't understand. You have people that obviously are passionate, and now you have them all together. Seems like a recipe for... It does. It really does. Still, Nicole thinks, or hopes, that Guy is growing as a person. Has he made friends? Well, yes. Um, His best friend is Jessica Watkins. You're kidding I am not. That Jessica Watkins, the trans woman army veteran from Chapter 2, who went to the Capitol on the 6th, just like Guy. I'm telling you, I can't even believe it. Like, he's advocating. Is she in the same prison as him? Yes. I thought she would, I would have thought she was in a women's prison. No. Jessica is in that pod. And not only is she being persecuted for a political ideology, she's being persecuted for her identity, even. And, you know, it's just wrong. It's wrong. Her story to me, personally, is the hardest story. Why? Because there's a lot of Christian outreach for our patriots. But because of her situation, people feel like that she doesn't deserve the same support. And Guy and I have really just tried to normalize her story for these people, you know, because she is normal. I mean, to me, she's one of the most fascinating figures. Me too. Me too. And that's his very best friend. And I mean, he even knows all the right pronouns. I mean, he's using them. (laughs) Something I've never thought he would have done um, before. I feel like if Jackson knew that, maybe he would be impressed with his dad. Oh, no. Yeah, I think he knows. I do. I said, well, I think I even said it to Jack. I said, well, one good thing coming out of all this, dad's becoming more sensitive. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, because I don't think, because he had never been friends with a trans, he just didn't understand. That's all it was, was ignorance. And now that he's, you know, knows, he's in the know. And he's an advocate for her. Um, I want to ask you about something that is difficult to ask about. While Nicole was feeling reflective, I thought it was a good time to ask her about Guy's behavior, about the incident with the gun in 2020 that convinced Jackson his dad was dangerous. Guy has denied this occurred. Jackson described to me an incident over the summer where he said that you said that Guy had held a gun to your head. Um, And that was very disturbing to me. And so I do feel that I have to ask you about that. Yeah, it happened. Um, Twice it's happened. 
Um, and yeah, that is like a lot of Jackson's anger towards Guy. And like I said, you know, he has, he said to me several times, I can't believe you're married to him. Um, and it is because Jackson's so sensitive. Um, Guy wouldn't shoot me, but uh, he was really mad when all that, obviously. Um, and I'm not scared, you know, I mean, I'm not even scared of Guy now. I dare him to try to shoot me. Um, but, I mean, he's even discharged a weapon next to my head. And uh, I'm not sure why he goes that far. I mean, because he's not going to hurt me, but he just gets more mad. Like I said, it's like you can't have an argument with him because he just gets more mad than you get, no matter how mad you are. I'm going to drop my objectivity here. I I'm kind of with Jackson on this. <laughs> you don't you don't deserve that, and that's not right. No, I, I know. Um, I think Guy sees that now, maybe, I'm hoping. Um, Yeah, I'm hoping that he does see it. Because I mean, that's something that was very... The last time that it happened, I said it would... I mean, I'm never... I, I will leave. You know, I will leave. And uh, not that I would want to, you know, but it's just... I, you just can't live that way. Why did he do it? He just got more mad than me. About what? I don't even remember what it was, honestly. So, I mean, do you... Do you stick up for yourself when something like that happens? When he does a thing that you know is wrong, that you think is like this, we don't behave this way? Uh, I probably don't as much as I should. And maybe I will do it more now because I have I've always been independent. But the longevity of God being gone now, obviously, uh, no, I don't think that I'm going to put up with being talked to like that and he realizes that now like he got mad at me over the phone what since he's been in a few times and I'm like I don't have to listen bye you know because then what is he gonna do who's he gonna call so I have a little bit of power over that right now. <laughs> all the decisions are mine now you know, and that's not really something I've ever had. So I kind of like that. He may not like it when he gets out, but <laughs> I kind of like that. It's like now that she is the head of the household, the sole decider in her home, Nicole is looking in the mirror to see how the crown fits. Have you talked with Guy about this? I mean, I feel like you're going through this whole, like, reassessment of, like, how you're living, what your life has been, your family, your marriage. Do you talk about this stuff with him? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, and I'm in a safe environment to do so because it's over the phone. Um, he knows how I feel now. I mean, I hate that he's in this position. Um because I, I love him dearly and I don't want anything to happen to him. But, you know, things work in mysterious ways. So it's maybe all this was meant to be um, to have some clarity, you know, and I think time and space always makes things more clear. And uh, 
And I think he's seeing that too. Nicole has a master vision, a plan that goes decades into the future. Eventually, she and Guy will retire to Thailand, where the countryside is beautiful and the living is cheap. But before that, she'll bring her family together again. She's going to do it through therapy. Family therapy, individual therapy, and the kind of listening she's recently learned to do with her psychiatrist. At least everyone will have their say in a safe environment. Yeah, how do you, if it all comes to pass, how do you see that going? I think it'll go well. I insist that it goes well. (laughs) It better damn well. (laughs) I want my men back. You know, um, I want to be part of Jackson's life, his entire life. But the very first step in her plan, before any of that can happen, is to get Guy released from jail. That means raising money for lawyers and building support for the cause. So, the day after our interview, she's driving across the state to a Make Elections Great Again event with retired General Mike Flynn as a headliner. A lot of the uh, January 6th families gathering down there. Uh, I, it is a Mike Lindell event. Mike Lindell is the My Pillow guy who's currently being sued for spreading the conspiracy theory that voting machines were hacked. And what's your feeling about Mike Lindell? Uh, okay, I think he's fine. There's an eye roll here. But I need to go, and we're going to try to raise some legal funds and everything while we're down there, so it's like a necessary evil is how I'm kind of viewing it. While Nicole is swallowing her misgivings to try to bring Guy home quickly, Guy has made a choice that may keep him locked up for longer. Here's what happened. After presenting photos that clearly show Guy Reffitt at the Capitol in a confrontation with police, prosecutors offered him a plea deal. We don't know precisely what's in it, but the sentence for pleading guilty would likely be lighter than if he's convicted at trial. Guy Reffitt turned down the offer. As a result, Nicole and her kids were told they could be called to testify at Guy's trial in Washington. We're just going to walk through the fire, is what we're going to do. We're going to stand in front of 12 people and we're going to tell the story. And whatever they deal us, they deal us. Next time, we go inside the Capitol with an insurrectionist who stormed the building and the police officer who tried to stop him. That's when I'm being tased. You hear me screaming. What do you want me to tell you? That I I tased him? Yes. Explain. Explain. Am I I a fucking piece of shit? Yes. Why did you tase him? I don't know. I'm a piece of shit. (laughs) An encounter that changed both of their lives forever. Where am I? optimism has taken a turn is that uh, I still was very optimistic at that point that that we could change as a country and um, you know unfortunately I think things have just gotten worse what would you tell the other people who are still to stand trial in these cases after watching a guilty verdict don't take a plea do not take a plea they want us to take a plea I I am so upset that she is uh, advocating for no one to take a plea. Using my family and my father as an example, looking at what's happened, he's facing 60 years, and everyone around him has seemingly um, turned against him.
Will Be Wild is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music. It's hosted by me and Andrea Bernstein. Our senior producer is Kat Aaron. Our producer reporters are Christine Driscoll and Alice Wilder. Our associate producer is Marie-Alexa Cavanaugh. Our editors are Maddie Sprunkheiser and Joel Lovell. Fact-checking by Jane Drinkard. Our sound designer is Hannes Brown, who also composed the original music. Pineapple's head of engineering is Raj Makija. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Legal review also provided by Katie Ali Mohammadi Crown and Sarah Schwarzman at Donaldson Caliph Perez. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. From Amazon Music and Wondery, our managing producer is Candice Manriquez-Ren. Senior producer is Eliza Mills. And executive producers are Morgan Jones, Marshall Louie, and Aaron O'Flaherty. Thanks this episode to Joaquin Sapien and Josh Kaplan of ProPublica. 